Greetings, citizens of Earth. You are barking a happy tune with my pal Smurf of Smurf and the Magic Tones on 5280 Geek. Live from the Mobile Figus Studios. Guess what, kids? We are at Kofo. That is the Colorado Festival of Horror Smurf here. And I got I got I got a bucket list item here. And I'm not gonna lie that I'm I'm a little starstruck and a wee bit kind of like, oh I get to do this. Brink Stevens, who I remember back in the day going and, and watching HBO and this is back in the day when the antenna had to point west and you had to stand on one foot and it's like watching Fox and you did the channel thing up and down and that is how I watched your movie Slumber Party Massacre a classic so so classic just say so Brink introduce yourself because you have the sexiest fucking voice I've ever heard oh thank you Smurf I'm Brink (laughs) Stevens and I am so happy to be at the inaugural Colorado Festival of Horror it proves to be a wonderful weekend ahead it does I'm so excited to have you here because we went through this list and the co-founders and I were like it was like a, a bucket list of who okay who can we get it went from who do we want, okay, who can we get, who can who who would even show, and we we're like, no, Brink won't do that. <laughs> Brink won't come to Colorado. Come on, she's got better things to do. And I, here you are. Yeah, I don't do that many shows in Denver. In fact, there haven't been many shows in the last two years. There, ha- there hasn't been a lot of shows anywhere for the last no, two years. No, but I was willing to brave the COVID and come out here and meet my fans and participate in all the festivities. I have to compliment you on the magnificent shirt that you are sporting right now. That is just fucking sexy. Thank you. It's a black t-shirt with Disney's Maleficent on it, who was a role model of mine growing up. You know, up. that was my next question. So that was a role model. And you know Absolutely. what? I think she was misunderstood. I just really think that the prince had no business messing with her shit. And he rightfully should have been fried by her dragon form. Well, that's why I liked when the movies came out with Angelina Jolie playing Maleficent. And you really got to see the other side of the story. You did? Yeah. So I was never one to be, you know, the pretty and pink heroine. I wanted to be the wicked witch, (laughs) like in Snow White. Well, (laughs) so, and I don't want to jump, like, right into the horror roots, but... My God, how many do have you been keeping score? How many horror films are you up to right now? I, I look on IMDb yeah. and and it tells me I'm up to something like 220 now. Jesus. Yeah, I started working in 1980 um, okay. in Hollywood, and my first major movie was Roger Corman's Slumber Party <sighs> Massacre. And you know, Roger Corman was the man is just brilliant. I mean, call him what he is and was. He was a bit of a lecherous bastard, but. I mean, the films that that man produced were just spectacular. I just recently uh, rewatched Hollywood Boulevard, which was co-directed by Joe Dante. Yep. And it had Mary Warrenov and Paul Bartel in it. And they used a lot of footage from other movies. I so, did not know yeah, that. Yeah, the whole budget on the movie was uh, $60,000 back in 1976. And they had scenes from The Big Birdcage and The Big Dollhouse and Death Race 2000. Oh, my God. I remember Death Race 2000. 
That's a horrible. No, it wasn't horrible. Well, leave it. It was interesting. Leave it to Corman to yes. you know, just cannibalize his own movies. The man had a tech. I mean, the man was just skilled in the way of filmmaking. So, and, and I don't want to ask the cliche film. Okay, what is your favorite one? And I'm sure they all blur together at this point. Well, my favorite one is my very first movie, which Slumber was Party? Slumber Party Massacre, and it was such a perfect film for its time. It kind of came in toward the end of the slasher. I did come in at the end of the slasher. It craze. was after Hollywood Chainsaw, and kind of. Um, uh, regarded as a feminist horror movie because it was directed by Amy Jones, a woman, written by Rita Mae Brown, who was a known feminist, and the women sort of best the killer in this. They did. Yeah, so everyone goes, oh, wow, this is something different. It's not your usual slasher movie. It's a feminist horror film. It is, and I I particularly love it, and I do like that you guys get the upper hand, and it made me think that I I think there should be a role because because we were talking off mic, and a lot of people are going to be pissed that they missed these conversations. But Scream Queens, mm-hmm. which is what you're labeled as. Now, how do you feel about being regarded as Scream Queen? Because I know this. some people kind of like, eh, some are like, yeah. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis was back and forth until it started to pay, and then she's all like, yeah, I'm absolutely a fucking Scream Queen. It was a phenomenon of the 1980s. And I really think the the term applied to me, Linnea Quigley, and Michelle Bauer, that we were the three original screen queens, not counting Jamie Lee, who right. didn't want to be she, one. She totally like yeah. came right out. I am not a screen queen, right? And yeah. then she shows up on you know um, Trading Places, and you know just threw that whole mm. thing right out the window. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it was a phenomenon of the '80s. It really was the three of us originally, and. I didn't really like the title at first, but face it, I was kind of pigeonholed into horror, and I was a victim in a lot of my movies, until they realized they could do something more interesting than kill me, Right. when, when I became a villain then. But yeah, you know, I did scream a lot. I dubbed other actresses screams, like Linda Fiorentino. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yes, in um, one of her films, and... Vicky Lawrence, I dubbed one of her screams. And <laughs> that, that does not surprise me with Vicky yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, I was kind of the best scream in Hollywood, so if you got to be known for something. <laughs> I, I've had people come and get my laugh for films. I, I completely understand that. So I've come up with an idea that I think would be spectacular for you, and it kind of goes with the Scream Queen things. What if we did, like, an Expendables spr- Scream Queens? Ooh, yeah. Where it's like Revenge of the Scream Queens. And the trifectas return to, you know, like taking out Wes Craven or, you know, I mean, what would that be like a great idea for you? Or who would you go after first if we could do like an Expendables Scream Queens? Well, I think it's a wonderful idea. And weirdly enough, it's kind of being done as a comic book, as a graphic novel. <gasps> Shut up. Todd Livingston I need has to buy been this book. doing a, a comic book series called Starring Sonia Devereaux. And he hit upon the idea to bring in other Scream Queens. So the next issue, which is going to be like 42 pages, it's quite the, That's the book. That's quite the book. Um, features me, Linnea, Michelle, Tiffany Sheppis, and <gasps> Fred Olin Ray. I've met Tiffany. She's spectacular. Yeah, hey. and Jamie Lee Curtis has a, a guest you know, in it too. So it's hysterical. I can't wait till this comes out. Todd Livingston. Starring Sonia Devereaux with all the screen queens in it. Wow. See, look at this. Someone took my idea already 
and turned it into a comic. God oh, it was inevitable, it. Smurf. I know, but damn it, it should be my idea. So if you were to take revenge, uh, like Slumber Party, I, I keep doing this for Slumber Party Massacre, and I don't know why. Now you have to watch the film, you'll know why. Um, who would be like the first one you take out? I mean, is there, is, who would you eliminate in the horror genre first if you had a chance to turn the tables? Oh, you know, I get along with everybody. Oh, I really do. Okay. But I, I added up one time, back when I had done less than, a well, probably 100 movies, I counted how many times did I die. Yeah. And how many times did I kill people. You get, you get brutalized a little yeah. un- unfairly. Yeah. And I, out of 100 movies, I died in 38 of them, and I killed someone else in 58 of them. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I'm a killer man. <laughs> I'm telling you. This woman means business, folks. Yes, and I've done it so many different ways, and I've been killed many different ways. You know, it's just kind of fun to say, what are you going to do to me now? And then the first question my friends ask me right. when I tell them I've got a new movie coming up, do you get killed in this one? And I say, well, my last line is, hello? Uh-oh. Is someone out there? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. So when you're reading a script and you're kind of like scanning it, you're like you're looking for like specific lines. Is that one of them? Yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. Uh, Did you hear something? I can go alone. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. I got this. We should split up. We should. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I've got four more movies the rest of this year, and I die in all four of them. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But um, one film I did earlier this year was uh, Ebola Rex versus the murder hornets and i got my head bitten off by a tyrannosaurus rex that that was pretty impressive i like that dustin ferguson in uh, los angeles did this whole pandemic series of giant monster mostly like murder hornets and even tyrannosaurus rex infected with ebola and sharks called apex predators and i appear in all of his movies and i get killed in so many diverse ways have you found one that you're like, okay, that one was pretty good? Is there one that like stands out that like, I mean, I know it's like 220 films, but there's got to be one that you're like, god damn, that was impressive. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I got my throat slit with a razor blade in Grandma's house. I got shot in the back with an arrow in Slave Girls. Wow. And then Trophy Heads, they also shot me in the back with an arrow. That seems uh, unfair. Yeah, I've been shot with guns. Um, I like it best when it's not a bloody death. But, you know, when you get ripped apart by demons, it's hard to avoid getting blood on your clothing. (laughs) They don't ask you to bring your own wardrobe, do they? They do. They do. Movies are so low budget that they don't have wardrobe anymore, and you have to bring your own clothes. So my first question is always, is my wardrobe going to get bloody? And if they say yes, I go to my nearest thrift store. I was going to say thrift store shopping, (laughs) baby. Yeah, yeah, 10 bucks. You know, I'll buy a dress. Cue the Macklemore music now. (laughs) Indeed. Yeah, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have that many clothes. (laughs) Well, to get bloody, I mean, it's sticky, it's gross, it's visceral. And it doesn't come out. No. It doesn't. So you, I mean, you basically just write it off. Have you saved any wardrobe? Like, okay, this is kill one hundred and fifty. This was kill two hundred. Yeah, I've saved as much of it as I was allowed to keep, and then I would sell it on eBay. Nah. <laughs> and then when my girlfriends now clean out their closets, and they'll say, "Do you want this?" Oh, wait a minute. Are you going to wear this in a movie? Get it bloody and sell it on eBay? No, you can't have it. Wow, <laughs> you greedy bitches! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're helping an artist. <laughs> 
Now we talked about this off of air, um, but I'm going to ask you: Do you want to like venture past horror? I mean, have you looked to sci-fi? Have you looked to? I mean, Netflix has got so many different projects going on. Can we look to see you like? crossing over into the streaming territory? Well, I feel like maybe that time has passed. Um, back in the early 80s, when I first arrived in Hollywood, I was in Body Double. Mm. I was in Three Amigos, uh, The Naked Gun. This is Spinal Tap. I did a lot of little parts in movies. Psycho 3. All right. I remember um, that. I, don't re- I remember uh, This is Spinal Tap. Oh, my God. You were... Yeah. Yeah. I w- <laughs> they, they shot like 50 hours of footage and to make a 90-minute movie. So right. much of it was on the cutting room floor. But I did have lines. And well, I heard that Spinal Tap, this is Spinal Tap, was completely almost improvised. Yes, that yes, it was. It was. All of the actors basically didn't have any lines. Here's the premise. And you just showed up and just winged it. Yep, that's what it was. Every take they did was different. They were all improving. And I had been hired as an extra for the uh, concert scenes. And so I'm in the crowd at every single concert they did, except the one that was supposed to be in Japan, because the audience was mostly Japanese. Right. And somehow I was hanging out with Michael McKean and Christopher Guest, and they really liked me, and they said, well, we're moving on to the penthouse of the Rock and Roll Hilton on Sunset Boulevard. Come with us. So and you're I, like, yes, I will. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and um, I, would just, I was just hanging out, kind of playing Harry Shearer's girlfriend. And Michael McKean would always come up to me and say, did you say any lines? Did you speak? And I'm like, no, I was hired as an extra. He said, say something, you'll get paid more. So he was my cheerleader, so I had some lines. That is fantastic. Yeah, and it was just really fun hanging out with those guys. Well, and it's such a creative film platform, because a lot of people don't understand how This Is Spinal Tap was filmed, and people believe that it's real and it's so far from the truth. No, it was it was greatly beautifully done and Rob Reiner never knew if it was going to be a success or No, he not. didn't think it was going to be a hit at all. No, I, I remember I rode down in the elevator with him from the penthouse of the Rock and Roll Hilton. He and I ride down in the elevator alone and he says, I don't know if this is going to work or not. I just have no idea. And so the elevator doors open and Adam Ant is standing in the lobby waiting to use the elevator and I say to Adam Ant, oh, I'm going to your concert at the Palladium tonight. And he goes, yeah, yeah, and gets in the elevator. <laughs> so I love being in Hollywood. Oh, my God. Just, there's Adam Ant. How are you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you, you, you've had these glorious adventures. What's, what's the standout? What's the big achievement? That, this is the one that you're like, if you're playing Xbox, this is the one you're shooting for for your achievement score. Well, the movies in the early days, in the 80s and 90s, had much bigger budgets than they do now. And it was um, it was the days when we still shot movies on film. Right. You know, it might have been short ends, like the last 10 minutes of a reel. But Dave Dakota and Fred Olin Ray and Roger Corman and Charlie Band at Full Moon all made real movies. It you did. know, a, a $300,000 budget was considered extremely low. So now, you know, people are trying to do crowdfunding for $6,000. Yeah. And everything's changed. It's hard to be thrilled about your work anymore you know I love acting and I'm very fortunate I can make a a living doing what I love to do right but most of these movies go straight to streaming and it's just nothing that really stands out what I did really enjoy was my first directing experience and it was a 36 minute short called personal demons 
So the way that came about, I had been slated to direct for 20 years, the past 20 years, and they always fell through for one reason or another, like lack of financing or losing the location. So um, Joe Castro, a makeup effects artist I'd known since he was 16 years old, and he had won a contest to come to L.A. and meet Evola of Monsterland magazine. And I was the... uh, the character Eva. Right. so he did a photo shoot with me and all that and he said when I as soon as I turn 18 I want to come to LA and be a special effects artist and he in fact did and he worked with me on uh, Teenage Exorcist and then later he became a producer and made his own movies so he said I'm soliciting short film scripts um, for a 30 minute you know, on anthology film, three 30-minute shorts. Right. And so I sent a synopsis over to him. He said, I love it. Give me a one page. Gave him a one page. He says, give me 30 pages. So then he called me and he said, we need to have a meeting. And oh, I'm, wow. And that, I, yeah. That's a big deal. I know. And I'm like, oh, boy, did he like it or not? <laughs> so he said, I, I love your script so much. I want to stay true to your vision. I want you to direct it. And I said, well, you know I wrote the lead character for myself, and she's in every scene. And he said, I know. You can do it. You can act and direct at the same time. What? So he gave me my first shot at it. Wow. And I love the way the movie turned out. The entire thing was filmed against a green screen. And so it looks like a collage, a scrapbook. So very visceral. And yeah, just kinda, it's, it's, it's a very weird, cartoony kind of thing. And that'll be out later this year or early next year uh, on Terror Tunes 4. Ooh. And what's the, what's the it's title? It's called Personal Demons. Okay. And the script I wrote was about um, an aging horror actress who almost kills someone in a DUI and goes to rehab. And when she gets out, the only part she can get is this low-budget horror movie. Oh, my God. It sounds like the Jamie Lee Curtis story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <clears throat> she has to... Um, I'm so getting hate mail. I know this already. <laughs> she, um, she goes to her dead aunt's remote Victorian mansion in the woods and is practicing her script. And there's this incantation in it to raise a demon. And she says it three times, and the demon appears, but no one else can see it, so it's her personal demon, hence oh. the title. Um, so it was really fun. We had a guy playing a demon, and um, I just loved it. It was. That sounds like a man. I'm excited to see this. Wait, and it's on. Terror Tunes 4. Terror Tunes 4. It'll okay. be one of the shorts on that. Oh my and God. the cameraman that I was working with, Stephen, he said. Of all the directors I've ever worked with, you're the nicest, you're the most quiet, because you would say, and action, <laughs> instead of screaming. I like the soft touch, and action. <laughs> yeah. And so my first day of shooting. It's the sexy boy. Action. action. Oh. My first day of shooting, I got Linnea Quigley and Debbie Rashawn to be there working with me on the first day. Both of those parts had been written for men, but they were in town for a uh, monster convention. And I pulled them away from that and hired them and worked with my friends on the movie. Wow. See, that's even better when you get to hang out with your friends and just kind of like pal around and, hey, we're just going to shoot a picture. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and then Charlie Band called me two years ago and said, uh, we're going to do a remake of Sorority Babes. 
in the Slime Bowl Bolarama, yeah. which was 1987. And I said, yeah, why are you telling me this? I died in the movie. It's yeah. not like I'm coming I'm back. I'm not first. coming back. <laughs> and he said, I want you to direct it. And I was so excited. Wow. And uh, I read the script. We were l- trying to find a bowling alley in Los Angeles. It was basically a shot-for-shot shot remake. They even wanted to oh, get wow. Dookie Flyswatter to do the voice of the imp again. <laughs> and uh, Is Dookie uh, even doing work these days? No, Dookie's not in good shape. He's in poor health. <laughs> I didn't think he yeah. was. But then COVID hit, and that project got shelved. Oh. So I'm hoping we revisit it That eventually. would be amazing. Yeah. I don't know if I like the shot-for-shot shot remake, but... No, I... I have to think why. Yeah. I don't want to talk myself out of a job. No, 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 absolutely. But, but um, you know, the, the movie was so perfect. It was. And I had gone to Tucson, probably, I think it was 2013, and they took a theater and they showed Sorority Babes, and I introduced the movie, and I did a Q&A afterward. Right. And the whole 400 seats were filled, mostly by people who hadn't even been born yet when this movie was made in 87 and they all laughed in the right places they loved it so i think you don't mess around with the no, classics you don't i mean and to be fair cuz uh, i've seen when people talk about like the golden age of horror of course it's the 80s in my mind i mean the 70s sure they have had a couple of good hits but the 80s in my mind is the golden age and of course now with jordan peele coming in with the new the new golden age with us and them is there a horror film that stands out to you that you're all like, okay, I really wish we could have done this in the 80s because I think we would have done it better? Well, the 80s had their own character. You know, much like you had the Universal Monster movies of an earlier decade, the 80s were more known for horror comedy, and you had a lot of TNA um, video came into play in the mid 80s yeah. and suddenly it became factories where all these people were turning out six, eight, a dozen movies a year. You've we, never worked for Troma, have you? I don't think I've ever seen you in a no, Troma film. No, because Troma was East Coast. Oh, that's I'm West right. Coast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look at, listen to, it sounds like a rapper. I'm I'm West Coast, yo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love living in Los Angeles. But it was so different then, you know, and um, it, everything changed when video came because it democratized filmmaking and suddenly anyone could afford a video camera and sure. you could shoot it in your backyard. One good thing that came out of it is regional filmmaking where you get backgrounds and you get houses and you get things that are so different from Los Angeles. Right. Like I shot a movie in Vancouver, the only one I ever did, called Vampires vs. Zombies. And that is a gr- I've seen that film. That is a great film. I love that one. Yeah, Creepy Six did that. Yes. And I really enjoyed shooting in Vancouver because the scenery was so different. And when they were doing um, some of the series up there, um, it, they could make it look like anything. It could, really. Yeah. I mean, it's like shooting in, uh, where was Lord of the Rings shot? Uh, Venezuela? New Zealand, yeah, that too. <laughs> mm. Mm. No, and and shooting in Vancouver, I mean, that's why a lot of like shows are shot there because there's so many. It's very versatile. Yeah, the X Files. You know, they could make it look like anything. And I grew up in a little town called El Cajon in Southern California. And at one point, the X Files has this scene that says El Cajon, California, and it looks nothing like, like El Cajon. It I looks don't know like what Vancouver. That is. <laughs> that's like when people come to shoot like in Colorado. That's like that's not Colorado. We don't even have a city named that, you assholes. Mm. Yeah, I get that. So, with everything that is going on, you you are you doing more scripts? Do you have more stories to tell? 
Mm. Well, I wrote probably six scripts that I sold. Okay. And uh, one was Teenage Exorcist, and then I did a How to Survive an Earthquake video. Shelley Duvall narrated it. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Shining Shelley yeah, Duvall? Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. And a number of other ones that were made. Um, I I had a project prior to COVID that was called Tears of a Clown. We were going to shoot it in Cocoa Beach, Florida. Mm. I co-wrote the script. I was going to direct it. I also had a part in it. And then COVID, you know, took yeah, that out. Shelved it again. But it was so much fun. I made three trips to Florida to do location scouting. Oh, wow. And I was working with Grant Austin Waldman, who uh, produced Teenage Exorcist. And he said, write a part for yourself, write a part for Eddie Deason, who was also in Teenage Exorcist. Yes, he is. And I went to Cocoa Beach. I scouted the hotels. We, it's set, part of it is set in the 1960s. Okay. So we had to find a motel that hadn't been renovated. And we looked at so many rooms until we finally found one that said, okay, this is perfect. This looks like the 1960s. <laughs> Flamingo Hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with everything going on, uh, what did you end up watching while you were on hiatus? Because I, I already know the answer to this, and I was right if we had bet. <laughs> um, well... I um, still get discs in the mail from Netflix. Oh, my God. So that's my main source of fun. But I like romantic comedies. Oh, my God. <laughs> we have a scream queen who you automatically think, yeah, she's in a horror. No, romantic comedies. Uh, yeah. Well, because I, I live horror. And, you know, you, every, did, you e- did live horror. Every you, day. you created the genre. Let's be honest. Well, I won't say I created it, but we contributed you, a lot. You, you, you've set the standard. What, what we really did was um, fan conventions had existed back in the 70s, like San Diego Comic-Con started in 1970. Equicon, Star Trek convention was in Los Angeles in 1974. And I went to all of them as a fangirl. But in the 80s, Linnea, Michelle and I, sometimes Monique Gabrielle, Julie Strain, would go to conventions. Oh, poor Julie Strain. Yeah. Yeah. And we were there in person. People could talk to us. Yes. see us, take photos with us. And that contributed to a lot of our popularity. I got whipped by Julie Strain. We were at San Diego Comic-Con, and she had her booth. Um, And she was, my God, that woman was an Amazon. She was like 10 feet tall in her boots, and she had the the nine tails. Yes. She really enjoyed what she was doing to her fans. She oh did. My God. She loved that. She was like six foot one or two. Oh, my God. And um, had had several breast jobs, each one larger than the last. Each, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, she it was like she went Amazon. from like an Impala to a Cadillac. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was impressive. And, and she was really the nicest, sweetest person. She was. She, I mean, I spent an hour just talking. And, and this is before I was doing any of this. I spent an hour just talking to her because mm-hmm. everyone was scared to talk to her because she was... Just that imposing of a woman. Yeah. Well, she liked that persona. She liked she to did. snarl and you know do the kind of S and M thing and all of that. But I had a lot of fun um, with her. She built a, a photo bay in her backyard. You know the curved yeah. backdrop that's white. And we shot a lot of photos. And she would dress me like I was her little doll. She'd put these ultra high heels on me and these little skimpy outfits and wigs. And she'd shoot photos of me. Wow. So she was kind of like my big sister in a that way. That is awesome, though. Yeah, I miss her so much. It's just unbelievable that she had taken a fall off a horse yeah. when she was 20-something. And it manifested later when she was 50-something as 
brain damage. Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. No, n- because was... and the, because the 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 article said Julie Strain dies from horse accident, and I'm like, why was Julie Strain on a horse? I, I mean, it didn't make any sense to me. And then, like you said, reading the article, this is like when she was in her early yeah 20s. her twenties. Yeah, and it just turned up later in life. It was just the weirdest thing. It's, so, it's such a horror story. It mm. really I mean, it really is obscure. Yeah, it's not something you expect. No, it's Something's going to come back and haunt you later. No, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so what, out of all the relationships that you have made, are, do you still talk to like any of the old crew? I mean, what is like reminiscing with horror scream queens like i mean, I mean um, that that is like i'm curious what that conversation is like hey did you see what this guy did or i mean <laughs> i can only imagine like coffee talk with that one uh, well um now we see each other at conventions so you get to hang out and like just, just get, yeah yeah okay. we hang out we have yeah. drinks at the bar after the show um michelle bauer and i recently did a documentary interview uh, it's about Dookie Flyswatter and oh, Haunted Dookie. Garage. Yeah. And in the late, well, the mid to late 80s, Dookie had written a number of scripts for Fred Olin Ray, such as Star Slammer and mm-hmm. I think Cyclone. He was also in movies. He played Omar in Nightmare Sisters. Yes, he did. He was the voice of the imp in Sorority Babes. And his band, Haunted Garage, which was a real horror S- punk band. Such a punk band. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, they would dress as vampires. They would fling blood. People in the first three rows would get covered Alice in Alice Cooper wishes he would have done some of the shit that these guys did. Yeah, they were revolutionary. And they did a number of songs on soundtracks, mm-hmm. like, um, oh, Yumpin' Yimini, Suck on My Chimini. <laughs> And then sucky, I, sucky, sucky bus. Yes, I had when yeah, yumping yumini suck on my chimney. I had to rewind that, and this is like you know a cassette tape. And I'm like, did they really just say what I think they just said? And you're like, oh shit, this is awesome. Don't let mom hear this. Yeah, yeah, they were um, really uh, so much a part of the '80s. They were. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think Dookie's rock and roll lifestyle has caught up with him. He's not in great health. So I was glad they were able to shoot this documentary right. while he's still here. And when we were talking, you, and this is something that I wish I had more uh, time to expand on, but you got to work with Sid. Sid Haig, yes. yes. Yes, in a movie called Warlords, 1988. And that is such mm-hmm. a spectacular film. And I know Sid never considered himself a success. And and but when he would meet meet his fans, he was so genuine. He was so ingratiating to them. Mm-hmm. What was it like to work with Sid? Because I mean, to to be a fan was one thing, but I mean to work with the man that had to be something entirely like next level. He was a very humble and ordinary kind of person. He didn't put on airs, and most of the fans know Sid from later in his life, the Rob Zombie movies, which which is not a shame. But I mean, he did have a career. Long before. Oh my that. goodness, yes. I mean, you go back and you look at old movies, and there's a character part, and it's Sid Haig. It is. And he's a really good actor. He really is. Yeah, so he had quite the career when he was young, all through, you know, many decades of working. He became iconic in horror later in his life. But it never went to his head. He was the nicest person. And in Warlords, I played kind of his girlfriend. Oh, okay. And uh, he was just really good in it. I was going to say, cause, uh, you know, a little, little cozy, cozy time with, with mm. Sid. Well, you know, compared to some of the actors I worked with, um, like 
oh gosh, on that movie Warlords, uh, David Carradine plays my oh, husband. Oh yeah, and he spends the whole movie searching for me. So they had a trailer at Vasquez Rocks yeah. near Los Angeles, and he wouldn't come out of his trailer. At that point, he kind of had a heavy drinking habit. And he, they couldn't he had really a lot of bad habits. Yeah, he had his his t- demons. He did have a lot of demons. So he wouldn't come out, and and they're all saying, "Okay, bring you play his wife. You go get him out of the trailer." So first of all, they had sent um, you know the script girl or somebody. Right. And she knocks and opens the door, and this empty vodka bottle goes sailing through the air, just narrowly misses the side of her head. And she comes back in tears, and that's when they said, Brink, you go. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I got him out of the trailer, and and we did our scene. And a similar thing happened on Haunting Fear. I had a scene with Jan Michael Vincent, and he was in his cocaine phase at the time. And he wouldn't come out of his This was before Airwolf, wasn't it? Mm, He was kind of on his way down. Yeah. Oh, my Uh, God. Yeah, he he was another one. I forgot about that film. He had, John Michael Vincent had good looks. He was talented. He was. He had so much opportunity. And he really just burned himself out. He was difficult to work with. At a very young age. Yeah, yeah. It's It's just sad. I know. I've seen it all. I also worked with Karen Black on that movie, who was wonderful, very um, sweet person, but quirky. Really? Very strange. Oh, yeah. so? Well, just, you know, like, if there's a dog barking, she gets down on the ground on all fours and barks back at the dog. <laughs> all right. I, I'm a, I want to go to that party. <laughs> uh, the one person I never worked with and wish I had was Mary Warrenov. Why? When, when I saw her recently in that Hollywood Boulevard yeah. um, 1976 that Roger Corman had done. She was beautiful. Yeah, she was quite striking. Oh, my goodness. I only met her later in life, and she was kind of um, quiet and removed. She wasn't real friendly. Really introverted? Yeah. Well, I met her at a convention, and she just put across an aura like, don't speak to me. She sat reading a book the whole time and never looked up. and. Yeah, so I don't know, but I I wish I could have met her back in the 70s because she just seemed so amazing back then. So who's the quirkiest you've worked with? Mm -hmm. Who's the one you're like, God damn, that person left the mark on me? uh, uh, Besides me. Besides Smurf, yeah. (laughs) Probably Jan Michael Vincent. Jan Michael Vincent? Yeah. Like, you know, our call time is what, like 6 a.m., and he shows up at 10 a.m., and and wow. he had some kind of weird thing with his feet, like one foot was a different size than the other. So he had to bring his own shoes, and he didn't. He showed up barefoot, you know, and things like that. Where, oh, and then when he goes into his room in the house we're shooting at, and wouldn't come out. So they sent me up. You, Brink, you go up. Oh my god! <laughs> you go up and get him out. And I, I like, that, I like I'm, that you're the peace bringer. I'm, yeah, I'm the extractor. <laughs> <laughs> I get him out. Um, and I said. Um, I said, can, uh, can I get you anything? And he said, well, a pound of blow would be nice. And, and I said, I'm sorry, sir, it's not in our budget. How about a cup of coffee? <laughs> I love the reply, though. That is, that is exactly how you handle that. That is, mm. that is an achievement point right there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what do you think you're... Fi- <laughs> you're not on the set of Batman. Fuck, what the hell? Yeah. Um, so, so back to the rom-com, because I got to know. Uh, what, what's your favorite rom-com? Oh, I'm going to probably hate this question. No, no, none of them really. I mean... None of them really? You, you're into rom-coms. You've got to have a favorite I, one. I just watch so many different movies. I love historical fiction. 
And I love movies that are set in other countries. Okay. So I can see something different that I wouldn't normally see, like history and like right. foreign places. And I like romance. I like Bollywood movies. Oh, you can't go wrong the, with the Bollywood The dancing movie. is so yeah. much fun. You know, they, they hold up their hand and they do the screw the light bulb. Yes. <laughs> move and the pet the dog move. <laughs> Doing the grocery move. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They got yeah. like all these like, you're like, oh, I remember doing that in the 80s. Yeah. And they, they look like all sexy with the, 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 the symbols on the fingers. Yes, and all that. yeah. I, I watch a lot of musicals. Um, I recently watched Peter Pan with Kathy Rigby. Oh. It was charming. <laughs> no, like the one like historical rom-com that always sits with me is uh, Christopher Reeves and... Um, oh, uh, Somewhere in Time. Yes. Yes. Yes, you're, you know, you're right. That was outstanding. It was. Yeah. And it was so well put together and you just, you just feel Christopher Reeves in, mm-hmm. that, in that whole portrayal. Yeah, you got that they really cared for each they other. They did. They did connect it. It sure sent a lot of fans to Mackinac Island. Oh, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah. Like worse than like uh, when Harry met Sally and everyone's going to the fucking Space Needle. You're like, yeah, everyone's gonna go do that now. One of my favorite uh, horror movies was uh, The Legend of Hell House. <gasps> that is a brilliant. Film. Yeah, I must have seen that four or five times, and I just liked the way. I guess uh, Richard Block wrote mm-hmm. that one. He did. Um, just the way it was set up with like time codes and the procedural. Of going into this haunted house, and I know you do some of that ghostbusting I too. Do. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way that they presented well, this it's haunted very, house. It's very intricate, and it's overlaying as far as how the time code goes, and just uh, like while well, this is happening, this is happening, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's very precise. Mm-hmm. And I love the the because even just thinking about it, I got goosebumps. Mm. As soon as you said it, I was just like. <laughs> yeah, they changed um, some of the roles were different from in the the novel. Right, like Pamela Franklin's character was different, mm. but I really um, fixed on her because I was about that age. Right, and, and so she stole the scene yeah. with just how intense she yeah. got. I know those eyes. Are yes, right. those eyes are like, oh my god, <laughs> I can feel just from looking at her. So when I did uh, spirits. For Fred Olin Ray, it was, mm-hmm. I think, in the late 80s. I was trying to channel Pamela Franklin. That's a good call. Yeah, you know, just to try to, because I played a psychic who was going in to investigate a mm-hmm. haunted house with uh, Eric Estrada and Robert Quarry. Very paranormal. Mm, yes. Which I'm surprised they did not tap you for paranormal. I mean, that, that just I know. seems you know, so it, much it, in, like, your wheelhouse. I know. It drives me crazy that I can't get hired on bigger movies like when um, Ryan Murphy was doing the show Scream Queens I put together packets of my history my resume you know some tear sheets some articles and I sent packets to anywhere that he might be and he never responded skywriting yeah yeah. singing telegram (laughs) well to to his production office and to the company production office Hmm. and I I suspect that you know he must have seen my stuff. Right. He must have known who I was. And I would have wanted to talk to me I would if I was doing a show called Screen Queen. No shit. I would have put me in as an, an extra, a cameo, you know. At least, or, you know, like one of the teachers or the yeah. faculty or, or something. Or a mother, or, you know, someone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that so just makes no sense. I, I mean. know that, yeah. And I just, you know, it's that can't get no respect kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Rodney Dangerfield, the female version. I like yeah. it. Yeah. You had asked about doing Netflix and streaming and yeah. stuff like that. I I do a lot of voiceover work, and I work for Netflix um, doing audio descriptions. 
and it's like closed captions right. for um, the deaf, but it's audio descriptions for the blind. Yeah, uh, I go to a studio and I record for a couple of hours a day. And uh, the most recent one I did was Don't F With Cats. Oh. It was a three-part, nine-hour, I think, series. Right. And, um, or three hours. And uh, you say, um, he walks into his bedroom. There's a fan in the corner. The bedspread is gold. You know, things like that. And That's I have it. I have a script that I work from. Yeah, they don't want you to do a lot of inflection because they don't want you to influence who's listening. But it's really he- fun. Heaven forbid you influence anybody. No, but I get to see all these things in advance, and I have to sign all these NDAs, non-disclosures, wow. that I won't talk about it. But I really enjoy working with Netflix in that capacity. Well, you do have a brilliant voice. I, I do have to admit that I'm just like, mm. Mm. That's... That, yeah, we do need to see her on an animated series. I would like that. Oh, she would do a better Tila than Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's for damn sure. Sarah Michelle Gellar. No. Yeah. No, no. You're thinking of Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn. God. You're really going to challenge me on this one, you nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, just finished recording for San Diego Comic-Con. I'm the voice of Comic-Con. See, and I think that is absolutely brilliant. Since you brought it, since you founded it in California, that is just, that's like full circle. I was one of the original founding members. Um, The first show was in 1970. It was very small. And I got involved in 73. In 74, I won the masquerade contest. I was Vampirella. I was 19 years old. And because I, I won... To, I need to Google that. Is that out there somewhere? Google for me, will you please? It was their first masquerade in 74. And because I won first place, they said, okay, you're in charge. So we were a bunch of teenagers that had no, no idea, idea what, what we were doing. And we're putting on a show. So for the next at least 10 years, I ran the masquerade contest. Holy crap. And then uh, they started doing an audio documentary called Comic-Con Begins. It's eight hours long. It's on Sirius and also Pandora. Right. And so I'm the host narrator for that. I kind of tie it all together. And it's been getting great publicity. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm just so happy to be involved in it like that. It's so good. Like, how, much, how much would it cost kay. for you to read me my uh, okay, so 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 PJ's question, in case the mic didn't pick it up, is how much would it cost him for Brink to read him his comics? You're such a dirty boy. Uh, do I have to come over and <laughs> sit next to you and <laughs> just pet your head? <laughs> Batman, <Okay>. Batman goes. <laughs> Want some hot chocolate? With the that? whack. <laughs> mm. Okay, yeah, you're you're cut off on the whiskey over there, sir. Um, <laughs> so, and you blew my la- my other question out of my head with that one. Thanks, oh. I appreciate that. <laughs> when I do um, horror movies, a lot of the times they cast me as the explainer, and so I have these long, long scenes where I'm the one who explains what's going on. Well, you know, back in 1865, oh there God. was a train that you know went off the bridge, and every hundred years, those clowns come back. <laughs> <laughs> And it's all female cast. You could be the, the narrator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, that would be great. You would the female three hundred. I like that. That's mm. a good idea. Okay. Because mm. <laughs> the one guy that told the story with the eye patch and everything, he's got that. He's got the pipes. 
but you're the female version without a hand, oh, without a doubt, you. without a doubt. Um, so with, uh, I got to try to get my brain back to where I want. I, I like doing audio work because I can um, do it in my bunny slippers <gasps> in my office at home. Very nice. I don't have to put makeup on. I just take my mug of coffee and I just just shuffle down close the hall. myself in. See, I used to be able to do that until I moved the studio out of my house, and I'm just like, son of a bitch, I got to get dressed. Uh, uh, well, last year during COVID, from my own house yeah. in Los Angeles. I did voiceovers on movies in Australia, Canada, the UK. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, you would probably melt someone in the UK easily because they, they they love the American accent, mm. which is hilarious. Cause well, I didn't have to do a British accent on that one. It was a guy gets possessed by this witch. And so they filmed the guy talking in his voice, right. but then they wanted to replace his voice with mine and doing a witchy voice. Yeah. So it's really hard to hear accents when you're just kind of talking like this. <laughs> oh, that is fucking hot. <laughs> nah. Nah. She's like, nah. That's a Tuesday. Uh, I love doing audiobooks um, because you get to play all the characters. And there's a whole series I did called uh, Darkness Unbound by Glenn Porzig. Hmm. And it's a, an occult detective. And each book is a different case that he's working on. Okay, so very Dresden Files-ish. Yes, okay. so I've done, I think, five of them. And I get to be the guy. I get to be the girl. I get to be the... I did... My favorite character was this old Italian priest who's doing an exorcism in Latin. Oh, do you speak Latin? Well, no, no, but if, <laughs> no. Uh, one of my girlfriends had a brother who was an altar boy, and so he heard a lot of Latin. Okay. So I gave him the speech I had to give, the exorcism, and he wrote it out phonetically, and I learned it way that to way. Way to go. Yeah, nice. Like, <laughs> Holy fucking, she just pulled that out of her hat. <laughs> Yes, the portal opens. In the Congratulations, <laughs> PJ just grew horns and sprouted a tail. Well, when I um, did my short film, Personal Demons, and I say this demonic incantation, right, right, right. and I summon a demon, that was based on something that actually happened. Uh, when I was do you summon demons no, on the no, weekend? No, no, no. But when I was doing um, Nightmare Sisters, Ken Hall had written the script. Mm. And so me, Linnea, and Michelle play these three nerdy girls. And we're having a seance, and I say this incantation. And so I, I started saying it, and I turned to Ken, the writer, and I said, now, this isn't real, is it? And he's like, no, I changed enough of it. So that always stuck with me. So Here years like, later, mm. when I did wrote Personal Demons, I put that into the script. Very <laughs> n- I like that. That is a great plan. So now my brain is back to normal after being like totally massaged with your demonic latin over there because you and i talked about this and i I gave you a commemorative uh colorado ghostbusters yes thank you um how many investigations have you done in the paranormal because i find this exactly so enticing because a lot of people are just like are are you are you a skeptic are you a believer i'm definitely a believer um it started early in my life um i just could see and feel things sometimes right. i knew things that and my mother would look at me strangely and then when i moved out Did she my bring you a dead chicken and just yeah. like start doing like <laughs> burning yeah. incense around you yeah. and some sage um i moved into an apartment and i kept seeing this 
figure of a black cat in the apartment out of the corner of my eye. Right. Like I, it would be sitting on the bed or it would be standing by the door. Right. And I thought, wow, that's weird. And then a friend came over and said, I didn't know you had a cat. And I said, I don't. And he said, but I saw this black cat. And I said, oh. it's, it's apparently a ghost that lives here. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then I had another experience at a different apartment. Um, I was living with a roommate, and my dishes kept getting broken. And I thought this was the clumsiest roommate I've ever had or, in or my life. Or just had anger issues or yeah. hated your crockery. Yeah, and I <laughs> was scolding, going, you've got to be more careful with my stuff. Every time I open the kitchen cabinet, I see broken dishes. So I'm laying in my bed, and there's a street light right outside the window. So right. there's a lot of light coming in the bedroom. And I see my full-length mirror lift off the wall, swing, and hit a glass lamp. Shut up. You're no, making this no, up. No, I'm not. It was poltergeist. I've had a lot of poltergeist oh, activity. Holy shit. So my roommate is screaming, there's a hospital down the street. Go find yourself a body. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and we, we actually managed to get rid of it. Um, I had another house that I had another roommate, and the salt and pepper shakers would go flying off the table. Well, they don't like salt. So it, it, yeah. <laughs> they get high blood pressure, and they, you know, they're right out. <laughs> yeah, and then I went on a Waverly Hills Sanitarium in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and See, oh. that was really fun. Jim O'Rear and I were there, mm-hmm. and a number of other people, with the local ghost hunting group, mm-hmm. and... Uh, we saw the guy was shining a like laser pen mm-hmm. at the bo- the very far end of the hallway and the laser light is getting shorter and shorter and he said i can't pull this back into the pen oh. it's hitting something, something with mass that's moving toward us <laughs> we're like oh hell let's get out of here <laughs> But I think ghosts are really scary. You know, I work in the horror business, and I shot a movie with Fred Olin Ray in Salem, Massachusetts. Right. The heart of, like, witch hunting ghost story. And it was called The Coven, and it was set back in time, back in the maybe 1700s. Oh, the witch burnings. So we went to the really old cemetery, and we're shooting there, and um, I must have walked across someone's grave. Because whatever it was followed us back to the hotel room in Boston, and a cup was shaking, and a bulb blew out, and uh, I just felt like something was sitting on my chest. I couldn't breathe. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was really scary. And I always thought ghosts were tethered to a place, but apparently they can move around. They can hitch rides. (laughs) Yeah, so I have a whole lot of fear and respect for ghosts. (laughs) So how's the house? I mean, is your house at home clear? I mean, are you are you fright free at the house? Yeah, the, the, I bought a condo twenty years ago, and there has not been a single incident. Okay, thank God. No yeah. shit. Yeah. You oh know. my God. <laughs> so, I, what is? I mean, like you said, you've been in horror. You've done a lot of things. What is this? What is the one thing that really like freaked the shit out of you? That you're just like. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this, but I'm going to ask you. Let's talk about this. Well, I would say the mirror coming off the wall. I would say so. I was just like, <laughs> kind of mm. did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done. Thank you, folks. Yeah, Good night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always wondered, like, why do ghosts always seem to be like 100 or 200 or more years old? How come we don't have modern ghosts like punk rockers and things? Oh, my God. That would be, don't go to Seattle. They would just be in bed. You oh. know, you wake up dressed in flannel. <laughs> no! <laughs> 
I smell like patchouli. Uh, the shit. Really? Is there an answer why? I don't. I don't know. I, you know, I really wish. I, I mean, there are answers. I, given my research into the paranormal and limestone, traumatic event. There hasn't really been a traumatic event in this generation. Yeah. So most of them, if they pass, they're just confused and just wander around in a circle. But, it could be. But yeah. the, the the your experiences that you've had, it's. Some, yeah, I, I feel like something I've, happened. I feel like I've been a lightning rod for the paranormal. Um, wow. I, I co-owned a restaurant near Santa Barbara, California, yeah. and there was something in the basement. And I lived in Los Angeles at the time. I would have to commute up to Santa Barbara, which was an hour and a half drive. So I didn't go up there all the time. Right. The other owner lived there, and he said, "There's something wrong with this restaurant." And I went in, and I just kind of felt this depressing dark energy and i said is there a graveyard around here and he said yeah right out back why (laughs) oh shit (laughs) so even our chef wouldn't go down to the basement to get supplies um he'd turn on the light and he'd go down and he wouldn't turn the light off when he left because he was afraid of walking on the stairs in the dark he swore he saw things moving around down there oh one time he came down and the flower was thrown all over the place saw all footsteps the already in there mm. I would fucking uh, flip my shit I'd be I like don't know. Oh. yeah so I put together kind of an exorcism you know that was sort of a get out yeah yeah <laughs> and that's kind of funny because in Candyman they have this scene where there's like there's no way out but the basement and she's like oh hell no and she just slammed uh, the door she's like I ain't going down there right right and I had to do it twice the first time it worked a little bit but then they came back and then uh the second time they finally stayed away but yeah and that restaurant that location nobody had ever been a success there and we weren't either we closed after like four months and i really think it was because of the graveyard and the spirits yeah bad juju wow okay that's awesome (laughs) will you go ghost hunting with me yeah, I'd All love right. to, as long as they don't come home with me. <laughs> well, we'll make sure that they stay home. We'll we'll, do, we'll make sure that they Beware don't. of hitchhiking ghosts. Yes, hitchhikers, man, they are a bitch. Mm. There's your public service announcement for tonight, kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, Brink, believe it or not, we're about at an hour, so we are about done. Oh, it's been so much fun, Smith. Thank you. Of course. So if everyone is going to stalk you appropriately, how do they need to do it? Oh, you guys all need to come down to the Embassy Suites in Denver for the Colorado Festival of Horror. It's our inaugural show, and you can see me, meet me, hear me speak, watch my movies, go home with a photo. It'll be a fun time. There's so much going on here. There's a costume contest. There is a costume contest. There's movies. You can read a comic book to them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know know where PJ's bankroll is going this weekend. Uh, After the con is done... How do they need to stay in touch with the, the, the sexier side of Brink? What's going on oh, in the world of I have Brink? a website, Brink.com, which I just recently updated. Really? Yeah, hopefully. that I have someone running it for <laughs> me. and he, he was in the process of moving, so hopefully he's updated it. <laughs> what is with all these webmasters that are constantly <laughs> moving? God damn. <laughs> I don't know. I'm terrible with technology. You know, it's just like. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I'm not on Twitter. And That's okay. I don't really want to be. <laughs> you don't. Because like, I don't get Twitch. I don't get Twitter. I don't get anything that starts with a T at this point. T- PJ yeah. does all that shit for me. I have a lot of groups on Facebook. There's Brink Stevens. There's the Brink Stevens Appreciation Society. Oh. There's a public page for Brink Stevens. And I do keep those up um, okay. every day. There's several posts on them. So, look so is there like a Brink Stevens fan club? 
No, there used to be. I had uh, 5,000 members, and every so often, every few months, I would send out newsletters. Nice. And it was the day when you had to lick the stamps and mail oh them. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I would have to hire people to send these things I have out. a Seinfeld moment with Constanza's girlfriend, fiancé, licked all those stamps and died. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't lick any stamps. That was the way people found out because it was really before computers back in the 80s yeah. and before cell phones. Did you handwrite the, the no, newsletter? No, I mimeographed. Well, not mimeographed, but I took it to a printer okay. and it would be like four pages long and I would tell everything I'd done and where I was going to be wow. so it would be very easy to stalk you, you know? were very <laughs> easy to stalk for the 80s yeah that's like a red flag I'm over here come and aim over this well, way but the funny thing would be people waiting in line would be trembling <laughs> they were afraid of me because they'd seen my movies <laughs> have you had any like really bad fan interactions have there been ones no. that just like totally like melt because I mean I mean kids melted Santa Claus I can only imagine going up to a screen queen who's wiped out over half of her encounters I in her love films. the horror community they're such wonderful people most of them are really intelligent they're nice a lot of them were kind of misfits and I feel like I was a misfit growing True story. Up. and they're very supportive of me and and I've been doing this 40 years and Shut they up, still really? love me. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, not like I have to be young and beautiful and Shut a, up. You are young a and naked coed in a shower scene. They still adore me. So You're I'm young so and beautiful fortunate. and I adore no, you. Thank Shut you, up. sweetie. Shut up. <laughs> well, I hope you guys will all come out and see me in person. I so want to meet you and uh, just see who's out here in Denver. Show me some love. Yes. Give Brink lots of love. Uh, follow her on Facebook. Do you have a Facebook yeah, page? Yeah, Facebook. Uh, like I said, the blood of pages, Brink Stevens and stuff. The blood of pages. Not virgins, just pages. <laughs> uh, I love it. So come and visit. See us at the Colorado Festival for Embassy Suites, I-70 in Havana. You can't miss it. Uh, tell them Smurf and Brink sent you, and they'll just laugh at you. But they'll sell you a ticket just the same. <laughs> Indeed. Brink, thank you for so much for sitting down for one of my most memorable podcasts. Uh, you you exactly, you absolutely exceeded Tony Todd. Oh. I'm, I'm going to tell him that next week. I'm going to be like, Brink kicked your ass on the podcast. Say hi to Tony for you. I will say okay. hi to Tony for you. Well, thank you, Smith. I appreciate this. My pleasure. In the meantime, run fast, laugh hard, and always be kind. Good night! <laughs> <laughs>